All right, welcome everybody. This is episode one of the AOS podcast. I am just one third of the AOS. Uh, tonight I'm a server as a host slash producer. So I'm David McGuire. We're excited about our first show. Uh, hoping to get uh, what we call the realist ad movement uh, on the way. So you can just call us the workhorse slash leaders of this realist movement. Uh, this AOS podcast, we're going to talk about a variety of things. We're going to hit on social justice, education for sure, uh, leadership, might dabble in a little bit of politics. We're going to have a little fun. Uh, but but we hope this show is informative um, and we hope you go on this ride with us. So before we get started, we're going to go on a little introductions about each of us. But uh, I'm David McGuire, Indianapolis. Uh, I got a one-year-old daughter, Zuri Rain, who's my heartbeat. Uh, and I represent the oldest and the coldest fraternity, Alpha <laughs> Phi Alpha. <laughs> what? what? I mean, what? It's the uh, AOS, right? I had, I had to put it in there. Okay. You got Yeah, Yeah, you're right. You're right. I had to put it in there. So uh, who, who wants to go next? I mean, that's got to go in order, right? We'll, the, we'll let the O go. We'll let the O okay. go. All right. <laughs> Hi, fellows. What's going on? Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, my name is Demetrius Ball. Uh, I am a principal in San Ramon, California. Uh, I've been in education. This is finishing up year 12 for me. Uh, and uh, I'm just excited to be here. Um, family wise, uh, my wife and I have been married be 15 years. Uh, next month, we have four kids, 11, 9, 5 and 4. And, uh, you know, it's always rocking in the ball house. Uh, and I am, as you can see behind me, repping Omega Sci Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Rue. <laughs> <laughs> Doc, you're up. Ah, all right. You know, uh, so I am the, uh, the S in AOS, uh, Dr. Vashon Smith, uh, Principal Grandview Middle School, Grandview, Missouri. I am finishing up my 14th year in education. I've done a little bit of everything um, assistant principal, instructional coach. I am a math teacher by trade. That's what I, you know, my first love and what I do. Um, let's see. I have one daughter. She is 18. She just finished up her freshman year at Xavier University in New Orleans. So shout out to the HBCU out there. Uh, and I am a proud, proud, proud member of the greatest fraternity on the man, Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Go, mob. All right, fellas. So now, now that we got the... The, the the Greekness out the way. Oh man, you gonna tell the folks who you are? You yeah. just- <laughs> TMSA Ray, black, 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 black. <laughs> man, hey, thanks, man. Thanks for bringing me on on y'all's first episode. Uh, excited to be here. I'm Ray, um, eight black hands, uh, one fourth for the super group. And um, man, I'm just excited to, to hear and learn from these uh, young black principals as they do their thing. Uh, Family-wise, for me, uh, my, my my oldest son uh, just turned 15, uh, going to his senior year, so he's about to go to college and uh, do his thing. And then my youngest, my baby girl, who y'all see me on the on the video, she's all in my videos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's just she's about to turn six, and she's gonna be going to second grade. So you know, we do this for the kids. Absolutely, hundred percent, do it for the kids. So if you're tuning in live, uh, we got a comment feature. So make sure that you if on the Facebook page, make sure you share or the YouTube. Make sure you don't do the watch party. Takes away the functions of, of the comments, but we love to get the comments and get this going. So the title of today's show is the new Black History Month. And the reason is, is June is turning into the blackest month of the year. Listen, like we we, we get Black History through it, partially because of some of the 
the stuff going around in the country, you know, with the, with the, uh, the murder of unarmed black people at the hands of police. But but honestly, you've seen this this come together of black people, which is actually a beautiful thing. We, we got something to rally behind and we coming together. So this is the new Black History Month. So welcome to June. And also it's Juneteenth. So before, you know, we're going to say Dr. Smith is going to uh, give us a little history lesson on uh, Juneteenth. So, Dr. Smith, what is Juneteenth and why is it important that we celebrate it? Uh, so basically, I mean, everybody knows um, the story that's been told to you in your social studies class in any school across the uh, land that Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation. And I'm pretty sure a lot of young black folks um, that are not as well educated think that on that day right there, as soon as the signature was done, he dotted the I that black folks was able to kind of go and do their thing uh, when that's not exactly what took place. Um, actually, it took literally two to three more years for black people to fully be fully free across uh, all the uh, American territory. So on June 19, 1865, uh, Union General Gordon Gragner read, um, basically ran his order in Galveston, Texas. And the reason why it was so important in Galveston, Texas is because when the Emancipation Proclamation got signed, a lot of slave owners um, basically fled to Texas because the Union didn't have control of Texas yet. So they wanted to keep their um, keep their slaves and keep that free labor and things like that. So there was a plethora, you know, of slaves still in the Galveston, Houston area. And that was kind of like the last um, area that the Union Army kind of got into to kind of make sure that people understood that the Emancipation Proclamation had been signed, that slavery for slavery like that was over with. I kind of want to take a pivot or, you know, put a pin in that real quick. Because if you think about this, the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1863. So we're talking two whole years later that slave owners were able to keep their slaves and basically get free labor. And then another thing, I know we've talked a lot about reparations and how black people wish they you know, should get reparations. And I don't know how many black people actually know that the slave owners after the Emancipation Proclamation were given reparations because of the lost labor that they were getting because slaves were now free. So those are just, I just wanna kind of make sure I put those pins in there that people understand kind of where the whole reparation argument comes from for black people is because white folks got reparations after slavery. So why couldn't the people doing the labor not get, this, get that? Uh, so basically, after that, in 1865, on, like I said, on June, June 19th, 1865, that took place. Um, it took, once again, still more some more months before the actual 13th Amendment took effect. That didn't take effect until December 18th, 1865. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, what took place. That's what kind of happened there. So fast forward a year later, Black people are going to come together and kind of celebrate their freedom, you know, Freedom Day and things like that. They didn't really have any land or things like that. So what they did was they would celebrate down by the river. They would do things. I mean, a lot of it is kind of what we do now. They barbecue, catch fish, play baseball, golf, do things like that to kind of really celebrate their freedoms and things like that. Uh, white folks really tried to put a, a, a halt on it because, like I said, they, black people didn't have land. They had nowhere to kind of congregate and come together to do the celebrating. So um, Reverend Jake Yates, you can look Reverend Jake Yates up. He basically did a fundraiser, raised a thousand dollars. And in Houston, Texas, they purchased Emancipation Park. And that kind of became the center for the whole Juneteenth celebration where crowds and crowds of people would come to celebrate. At the height of the whole Juneteenth celebration, there was as, much, as many as 20,000 people that were coming down to the Houston area to celebrate Juneteenth. And then as we kind of fast forward through history and things like that, certain things like, uh, the war, Great Depression, things like that kind of dwindled the celebration of Juneteenth in that area. But also as people started to migrate out of the Houston area, you know, we had the uh, 
industrial revolution, things like that. And so people fled to like California, Chicago and things like that. So they took that Juneteenth celebration with them to those parts of the country. Um, but, but as you know, like I said, myself, when I was young, I didn't know what Juneteenth was growing up in Toledo, Ohio. It was never a thing for us in that part of the country. But yet when I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, Juneteenth is a big thing. It's celebrated every year as a festival, you know, a party, a whole nine. So uh, that kind of gives you the quick background about it. I would like to ask, you know, that my two brothers on here, that's part of the, the podcast. Like, when did you first learn? Did you grow up knowing about Juneteenth? And if so, what did it play out for you? And if not, when did you first learn about it? Uh, I'll go ahead and start. Um, you know, I grew up in Ohio as well. And uh, I grew up in uh, a small town, Northwest Ohio. And we had a Black Heritage Library in Finley, Ohio. And, and actually, it's still there today. Miss um, Parker, doing her thing out there. But uh, when I was in middle school, that was the first time that, um, you know, because I her, her sons are one year, one is one year, one older than me, and uh, one is a couple years younger. And so we, we grew up in school together. And so uh, I found out about Juneteenth through uh, her organization and through uh, events that she held uh, in our hometown. And I mean, our, our town was not diverse at all, but she brought the black community together a way that you know uh, allowed us to show show our pride and, and to bring folks other folks in uh so that they can begin to understand but you know honestly juneteenth wasn't something that we studied in school uh and and it took someone in the community uh that was educated to to share with us and and educate us on on, on what it was all about yeah I, honestly for me I, I went to i went to an hbcu in central state and that was actually the first time I learned about Juneteenth as a freshman. So my freshman uh, professor, who actually wound up being a mentor, you know, uh, she, she's the one that taught us all about Juneteenth. Uh, we read um, What's Fourth of July to a Negro, Frederick Douglass, right? And she kind of took that and it took it to what Juneteenth was about and why we should celebrate that. And so it wasn't necessarily until maybe like my senior year where I really started. I won't say I was anti-Fourth of July, but I just didn't really celebrate it as much, really never got into it and really started to, to kind of push it and, and it's on my calendar as well. Juneteenth is something I celebrate. I can honestly say as a leader, I didn't do a good job of passing that down to my. What internet service does he have? I don't know. <laughs> are, you, are you trying to cover my Talking oh, about Juneteenth. So can you start over? Because you nobody. How Hey, How far hey, do I need to go, man? Hey, hey, dirty. Hey, dirty. We can't hear you. <laughs> hey, man. You know what? Listen. First of all, let me say, <laughs> shout, shout, out, shout out to the east side of Nap. You know, I, I love it. Listen, east side of Nap is where it's at, man. But this this Wi-Fi, man. <laughs> Hold on. Let me find my Ethernet cord, man. I got Teddy Riley in here. Hey, anyway. dirty. We can't hear you, dirty. We can't hear you. <laughs> got that. that, that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Hey, you got. Hey, that would be great. Hey, so I'm gonna just say good. this. Thank you, thank you, Central State. Here we go. Hey, so Here we go. And hey, you gotta log out, and log back in. <laughs> he knows. He, he, he I'm the host. What you? Damn. Man, hold on. Hey, hey, is it raining there? Is it raining? No. Maybe it's the storm. <laughs> Could be it. It's, you know what? Here's oh. what we're about to do. This is what we're about to do. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I, I, I see <laughs> folks right now. 
texting me talking about what's going on. Oh no! Listen, listen. hey, we gonna just move on. We we about to move on. It, it's this. It's we moving on. Anyway, let's make it happen. Let's make it happen. Got to move on. So we're we're all leaders, right? Ray, you superintendent. We're all principals. This is a this is a unique time that we're in, and so you got COVID, the pandemic. You got you know the 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 heightened uh, sense of racial inequalities and things like that. So. So um, we'll start with you. When, when you think about your role, um, how do you see your leadership, if it will change or how it will be different um, now our country's in a time of change? Man, so um, honestly, it's kind of forced me to think outside of the box with, with regards to who I am as a leader. Um, the traditional sense of leadership is kind of out the door because, you know, you got to be innovative in order to make sure that our kids are getting what they need. And so traditional ways of looking at things is just not going to work. And so, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to have uh, leaders that work under me that think outside of the box and uh, look at our, our solution oriented in terms of like dealing and addressing things. And so, you know, that's super helpful in terms of helping me to do my job. So I love it. Uh, one of the things that we did to kind of get to, to be proactive, we didn't know that COVID, nobody knew that COVID was going to occur. <laughs> and so um, we invested in our infrastructure. And so we had one-to-one devices for our students. And so it was a seamless transition. The only thing that we really had to do was that um, we had some some uh, some parents that um, are on the lower end of the socioeconomic uh, spectrum and so we had to reach out to the cable providers to make sure that they had stable internet unlike yours and um yeah man we were able to get this thing rocking <laughs> now you now you see why you see why virtual learning was tough for my children right this is why man this is this is the problem man it's, but you know what our former governor's in the white house so i'm gonna just leave it at that man he ain't trying to help us anyway uh about when you think about uh, out there in California, right? When you think about yeah. going into next year and how you're prepping, uh, not ju- not just yourself, but your leadership team and your teachers, um, h- how's your leadership going to be when we get when we return back to school in whatever form that is? Yeah, I think one of the most important things is uh, communicating as often and as clearly as possible. Um, that was honestly communication was one of the areas that. I felt like I needed to be because this was my first year as principal and uh, and boy, what a year to be a first year principal. Um, but early on, I, I realized that I have to communicate. You know, I need for my staff. I need my students. I know, need my parents to know who I am and what I'm about. And so uh, just being consistent in my communication, um, just setting up a schedule to weekly communicate to my uh students and family, uh, you know, doing announcements, uh, doing um, updates to my staff uh, consistently. I think just that transparency and letting them know, hey, this is what I'm thinking and this is the direction that we're heading and communicating that often uh, has been very important and that's going to be something really important moving forward. Uh, it's, it's, It's tough when you're waiting on your district. You know, we've got some things in place, but the district's going to come with with their plan and we're going to have to execute that. And so just from from my my own personal style, I'm not necessarily one that pushes uh, those above me that often. 
but I'm finding myself doing that a little bit more, you know, asking more questions uh, so that I can inform those um, that I'm supporting, those that I'm serving. And so I have to be a, a, a lot more assertive uh, in order to get what my students and what my staff needs. And so that's that's where I'm heading into in next year, just trying to push more for more information so that we can solidify our plans and, and get ready for whatever uh, next year looks like. Yeah. Dr. Smith, how's this shaping your leadership as you go into the fall 2020? Uh, as far as, you know, as going into the fall, like, I'm, I'm, you know, like TSA Ray said, you know, really looking at our infrastructure. Um, one of the things kind of just kind of giving a, a back real quick back piece before I go into the future of next year is last summer when I took over at my school at GMS, um, we went out and bought 100 MacBooks so that we could be one to one across our seventh and eighth grade students. And then our sixth graders are currently using iPads. Um, as we look at this year and kind of going in, you know, looking at what we're going to do next year. And I've already kind of talked with uh, my boss, uh, Dr. King, who's the assistant superintendent for curriculum instruction for our district and really talked about how I wanted to be MacBook one-to-one across the entire uh, building. So we are looking at to uh, make that investment, which is approximately 225 more MacBooks, um, you know, using some different, um, Title One funds using some uh, grant money that we got from other things, you know, that have to, as far as response, responding to COVID. The other thing that I did that um, I have tasked my building leadership team to really kind of be my eyes and ears on what is it that they need as a staff to be better prepared. Um, as I said, you know, before, like, I feel like we did kind of virtual opportunity. We weren't doing virtual learning in, in the, you know, in fourth quarter, you know, and, and really it was kind of an emergency learning. We were just trying to figure it out on the fly. So how can we be proactive? That's what we've been doing over the last couple of weeks. As a matter of fact, today was the last day of a conference. We've been a part of the uh, building expertise conference that's held by Learning Science Institute. And pretty much every session that we went through was all on virtual learning. How do you do social emotional uh, instruction through virtual learning? How do you set up, you know, culture and climate through, you know, uh, virtual learning? So a lot of the sessions we went into kind of focused on that, um, you know, and kind of how do we be more proactive going forward? And then one of the things I tasked them with today um, was what was one session you attended that come August that you could do a workshop for the rest of the staff on and what support do you need to find learn more more information about in that topics. And I already have a call set up next week with the representative for Learning Science Institute to kind of get some more resources for those my building leadership team who is, is comprised of six teachers, my instructional coach and one of my assistant principals so that we can be better prepared to kind of give our staff what they wanted. And that was the big thing that they were just saying is that they want PD. They don't want PD over theory. Like they, they don't need PD over theory at this point. They need PD over practicality you know, and making things happen. So that's the thing that I've been focusing on going into next year. Also, there's a uh, Twitter chat that I've been a part of um, that kind of started off last Saturday and it's, it's every Saturday, um, but it's held by uh, Beth Huff, Shelly Burgess, who wrote the book, Lead Like a Pirate. Also, they're co-doing it with Tracy Browder and De uh, Dawn Harris. And it's a, a series called Enlightenment, Empowerment and Action. And basically one of the things they talked about, and this kind of goes along more with kind of the social action stuff that's going on or cultural uh, social um not sorry the racial uproar that's going on but really just trying to be proactive you know call things out and stuff like that so we've really been looking at how can we be better prepared to handle things like that so um that's kind of what you know i've been trying to do to get ready for you know the fall and get things ready to go as we kind of look at moving forward uh so as we wait for uh dirty to get back on Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you there, Dirty? Dirty, you there? 
Man, listen. All right, I, I just want to, to the folks listening. I got six bars on my phone, both of them, both phones, both laptops is gone. Anyway, let me. So what I think about you need to cut your Netscape. You need to get some better Netscape, bro. You gotta leave Netscape alone. Man, I, I got AT and T. I got AT and T. You got that dollar. I got. I'm calling them today, man. I want my eighty-five dollars I pay for internet back. Anyway, um. When, when when I think about next year, so yesterday I our our reentry plan and reentry plan on our website, and so it's it's eleven page document, but it, it talks about some of the the things that we're putting in place. But for me, you know, this is this is this is crazy because like I'm in a I'm in a space where we were. Cut off again. Um, the the culture in the building was growing and students was learning. And so when COVID happened and the state testing happened, it kind of put a damper on things because we were actually looking forward to taking that state test because this was an opportunity to show everybody, you know, what our kids were learning. And so that mindset going in for me, I'm on this fence because it's like, you know, we just talked about. We follow a lot of trends. And so I could see Indy doing the same thing. So I'm just trying to keep everybody focused. I got a brand new staff coming in, mostly. Um, leadership team is the same, but got a yes, b- bunch of young folks who who hungry, but also starting virtual learning won't. But we can at least get a good couple months in before, you know, this potential outbreak number two happens. That'd be good. So I'm just going to put a lot of focus on developing teachers. One of the things that they kind of hit on and they kind of continue to kind of was an undertone of the conference that we just finished up was that even even if we come back into the building in August, you know, or September, whenever your school starts is you want you when you're doing those expectations, routines and procedures, you want to instill the virtual learning routines and procedures at the same time, even though you're in the building, because at some point we are going to go to that. And you don't want to be doing that once we get into a virtual learning environment. You want to already have those procedures and things instilled in students. Again. So that's the thing that I would tell a lot of leaders out there to kind of make sure their staff is understanding is that when they get into the building, you know, whatever format it is, make sure whatever they expect from kids virtually, whether it's checking in, how to get feedback, where to go find an assignments, getting them on Google Classroom and understand how to use the Google platform or whatever other platform a district may be using. Do those things from day one and not wait till school is getting ready to shut down. So that would be something that they kind of continually harped upon at the conference I was at. Yeah, right. that's, that's some definitely good, good advice for sure. Go ahead, Bob. You had something? No, I, I was just going to say, I think that that is crucial that, you know, early on, whether you're, I mean, I don't, I don't know that we're going to be back in the building on day one of school. But uh, I think moving forward, no matter what school looks like, not, you know, 21, 22, mm-hmm. um, that, that has to be a part of, uh, of what we do is, is have our students ready, our families ready for, for that potential. Um, and, it, and, it, and it gives more flexibility to them uh, to, you know, to, to handle business uh, no matter what comes up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think also, I mean, and I know we, we were focusing on, you know, the safety of students around COVID. Um, and I don't know if this was, you know, and if we don't hit upon this later on, just let me know. I don't know how we're going to segue this in. But I, I think we need to really talk about the uh, racial unrest that's going on. Mm-hmm. And how do we as leaders mm-hmm. really um, navigate our staff and our students and our communities through that process as well? Because, I mean, just as big as COVID-19 is, we got this racism 20. That's also we facing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, for, not for real. I think. Yeah. You know, the, the big talk today with Juneteenth is like, what are schools going to do about their curriculum, right? How are schools going to embed 
uh, Juneteenth, and we're going to how that's going to be uh, tied into the curriculum, because this is a left out. As we segue into that, you know, uh, our boy, uh, 45. No, that, that's your you boy. Know. That's your boy. That's your boy. Not, not, <laughs> not our boy. That's, that's, that's you and TSA Ray boy. <laughs> 45, man, and his antics, right? So when we think about 45 and his antics, we all know that he's hosting a rally tomorrow instead of today. Um, but, you know, he came out early in the weekend and made the comment that, you know, Juneteenth, is that he made Juneteenth famous, something along those lines or whatever he said. Um, Okay, so so why you pause? I want to. I'll, I'll jump in first. Right? So like, uh, devil's advocate, right? And it's really hard to be devil's advocate for somebody like forty five. But you know, if you look at Juneteenth based off of how you guys described it and how you guys described your experiences of Juneteenth, you know, it, it is pretty regionalized, or it was pretty regionalized in terms of like how it's celebrated or whatever. I think by him coming out and saying that foolishness, it kind of galvanized everybody. To where it's like, all right, let me do more research on Juneteenth. Like I'm seeing television commercials and whatnot, and like this year is like no, like no other year because last year Nickelodeon wasn't pumping Juneteenth. Last year, like you know, it wasn't Google talking about Black Power and like all these mm-hmm. other things that are happening, like how they're happening right now. And so, any press is good press for 45. So if 45 could come on and he can galvanize his base by saying that, hey, he made Juneteenth famous, then that's what he's going to do. Because any publicity for him now is going to stoke his base to get him reelected. And so what we need to do is we need to not use this moment as, as a distraction. We need to stay as one and make sure that we get into the boost to get his ass up out of office. That's what we need to do. I yeah, think I also, think. Go ahead, go ahead, Bar. I, I was just gonna say that the, that is that that's the that's the key with 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 this administration. You know, they they are gonna make policies. They are going to make announcements and statements to keep. You know, the, what, what's what's the magician trick? You know, you they keep you focused on this hand while the while the other hand is, is doing some other uh, business, and uh, that's that's all that's all it is. It's just obfuscating what the focus should be. The focus should be, you know, bringing black people together, educating, you know, ourselves, educating everybody so we can put some policies in place to really make a difference. I mean, because, you know, there's only going to be so long that we can just keep this momentum of, you know, of marching and uprising and those types of things. We really got to see some policies put into place and not just the token, you know, uh, HBCU presidents come show up, you know, tell, tell me I'm great. While I give you a little bit of money right here, but I don't change any policies to make sure that you guys are solid for the black community and for our country moving forward. And that's kind of, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm right there with you. It's like, you know, we got to get beyond the photo op. You know, we can't be focused on the photo op because everybody's trying to get their photo op on now. You know, you've seen what happened with the Democrats in the House and what they did, you know, when Nancy Pelosi couldn't even get up off her knee you know, after looking like a Wakanda chessboard, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I'm beyond the photo ops. Like, I mean, you got the power to really make change, but you are here taking pictures. You know, that's the yeah. part that I can't really get down with, you know? And, it, you know, it, it was good for the cameras, but it's not good for the people that you're really trying to make a change with. Um, 
beyond just also the Juneteenth thing, I mean, I think it's also he was he was very strategic in the place that he picked to have the rap. Mm-hmm. I think that was very strategic in what he was trying to do as well. You know, with, you know, and it, we, we can kind of get into that if we need to about the whole, you know, Black Wall Street and what took place with that 99 years ago and things like that. So I think he was very strategic in that. It's almost like, you know, I want to I want to poke at y'all every way I can. You know, I'm not gonna come out and blatantly do something, yep. but I'm gonna hit you, keep hitting you with these with these body blows, and eventually you're gonna fall. It's kind of you know, the kind of the mindset I feel like he's doing, or I'm gonna rally everybody around me. Like I was on a call yesterday and we were talking about the whole make America great, you know, uh slogan and all that stuff like that. And you know, it was 12 black men on this call, all educators, and you know, they up here trying to define, you know, what make America great is and when was America great. Now I'm like, look, America ain't never been great for black people. So why are we sitting up here on this call trying to define this? Let's call it what it is. The Make America Great slogan is a rally call for racism. That's what it is. So y'all, y'all, and like, you know, Ray said, we focusing on the wrong thing. You know, like, and I think it was Dr. Cole, you know, who's also part of A Black Hair. It's like, you know, we can't ever just focus on the prize. You know, it's always something that comes over here to distract us. It's like, you know, black people got ADHD. They see something shiny over here. So we're going to leave this and go over here. Like, and that's why we know we need to get past the antics and all the, you know, the juggling and say, okay, what are we trying to do? We really trying to rally votes. You know what I'm saying? So if we go, and that, I feel like right now we're doing all this protesting and marching and all that stuff. Like, why can't we be doing voter registration while this is going on at the same time? That's a good point. Like, how do we change, you know, the narrative? Like, it's good. And, I, you know, one of the things that I heard in the book club that I was in with Dr. Cole was that, you know, marching today without a plan for tomorrow is just exercise. You know, we doing all this marching and protesting, but what's the plan for tomorrow? What's the plan when they, you know, all the buildings get done getting burned and they start rebuilding everything? Like, what do we have? What platform are we standing on to say, you know what, we're gonna continue to push these issues and not when they come give us some small concessions along the way, throw us some bird, you know, some breadcrumbs, and that's gonna appease us. Cause I mean, that's the same trick they've been doing for for decades and centuries now. And and can I go back to that that voter? registration piece i mean you know black people have been voting and we we exercise our right but can we make sure we're staying on the rolls i mean we look at you know georgia you know we look at minnesota all these different things that are happening to keep us from voting is just so wild like you know these i mean we got we got we got these you know thousand dollar phones that we can do so many things on but we can't vote on it i mean you know, that's just one example, but there's just so many things that are preventing us from making sure that our votes counting, you know, I, I think and also that getting, important. getting, the, getting ahead though. I mean, cause you know, one of the big things, you know, in, in, in 2016, they talked about was, you know, the black vote was, you know, suppressed because of, you know, polling places being changed and all that other stuff like that. Like you can find out right now what your polling place is. Don't be mm-hmm. waiting until the end of October to try to figure out what your polling place is. Like I know right now my polling place for the next two elections is shut down. I got to go somewhere else, you know? So, and so, but then also as a community, how do we come together? Like, so especially like with our older population, our vulnerable population, knowing that now they got to travel further. What can we do as a community? You know, we all part of, you know, three different fraternities. What can we do as a fraternity to provide some kind of transportation services for these people to get to these new polling areas? Like, those are the things I'm talking about, like beyond just the March, like what is the plan to make sure that we putting everything in our, in our, you know, in a place to make sure that we can get to the polls and we got, you know, the right people, you know, doing things they need to do at the polls. We already know it's going to be long lines. You know what I'm saying? So shit, let's rent some lawn chairs and put some lawn chairs on so older people can sit down if they got to sit two or three hours at a poll. You know what I'm saying? That's like, those are the things I'm talking about. Like, how, how do we get the ball rolling on ideas like that? Welcome back, Dirty. I don't even want to, <laughs> listen, I don't even want to speak because I think my internet might go out. 
<laughs> Sorry, so, we got you. So we got you, Doctor Smith. You made some great points, but I, I want to come back to uh, one of the points that you talked about with uh, the photo op in a congressional black caucus. And so they were doing that in solidarity. I don't know if you guys know that, but uh, the members of the congressional black caucus asked them to, uh, in solidarity, in allyship, to take that picture. So they it wasn't like it. So if it, if anything ire should come. It should come to the members of the Congressional Black Caucus for asking them to be in that photo op. And I think that that's a point that's been missed a lot in terms of like, you know, going at Pelosi and going at, you know, the other white folks that were in the picture. And I and I and I went you on that. I, you know, whoever came up with the idea is the person. Like I said, I didn't know who, who came up with the idea, but whoever had that initial thought should didn't think it through. Like, what this is gonna look like. So, you know, the black caucus, you know, somebody formulated that thought whoever it is needs that blame because like i said for the people that i know that i rock with we didn't see there's nothing but a photo op we didn't see no solidarity we like y'all just out here trying to pander for votes is what we took it as mm. yeah but then also you know not to shoot i'm not trying to shoot anybody because voter suppression is real and like you see it in like georgia you see it and uh you see it in uh wisconsin you see you know you see all these black folks that are coming out to vote and like yo listen man we want this guy out of here or whatever and then when you got folks, you know, Republicans when they're in office, and I'm I'm a proud Republican, but I gotta say that there's some racist shit that's happening in my party mm. uh with regards to voter suppression. So when you close when you close voting polls in order to make things more difficult for Democrats to vote, it's already you saying that or conceding that you would lose this or you would lose this election if you didn't do crooked shit. And so calling them out on doing that. But then also, I think that one of the most important things that I don't necessarily see Democrats do and what's going to probably probably make me move towards being a, more of an independent than a Republican is the fact that these jokers get elected and put into office. and We don't keep the fire on them once they get into office. Mm -hmm. So that's the I think that's the key, Ray. Um, you know, we we we, we have the power, um, but it's just a matter of us sticking together. And showing up every day. Um, I, I can't remember what I was. <laughs> Yo, it's like yeah, it's like this whole program has like the Thanos glove. <laughs> it ain't me. I'm still here. <laughs> hey, I, I think I think the Republican Party trying to shut us down now, y'all. I'm still here. <laughs> I'm here. I just Hold on. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I, wow. I'm listening. I'm just listening. I'm taking it in. Dirty. No, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, but no, they, like that. We we, we want to hear, hear hear your thoughts on uh on on, on your boy forty five. Man, so look, <sighs> Jesus. All right, so man, I don't, listen. The moment he got elected, I said this is about to be the most interesting four years ever. And I'm gonna be honest, man. I got the I got the energy to 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 vote and rally folks around issues and policies and stuff, but I, I honestly I turn on CNN because I want to see what foolishness he gonna say next. I'm I'm gonna be honest, like I just I want to see what he's going from the the drinking disinfected to uh <laughs> to, <laughs> to the way he says China, uh just just a bunch of foolishness. China, China. <laughs> <laughs> and then he does he does this a lot, right? He does he does a lot of this. But in all seriousness, though, when you think about the moment that we're in, right, 
if he didn't do anything, he should have got more black people focus on issues that matter because he basically threw all of our issues and, and threw them by the wayside, right? Which should have been a reminder to us to say like, to your point, we don't put the pressure on people, right? We, we, we get what we want in office and then we think we just sit back. No, we got to hold everybody accountable. I'm going to be honest. COVID would have happened whether Hillary got elected, right? That has nothing to do with Trump. But I think the way in which it's been handled, right, that can fall on him. And so we blame him. I don't blame him for COVID. I blame him for the way it's, it's got out of control. But I think with this election, you know, I think Joe Biden's in a good place because all he has to do is do the opposite of Trump. But that don't mean his opposite is right. You know what I mean? Like, as long as he doesn't say anything reckless, people are going to side with him. But it's like, we got to listen really what Biden's saying. We got to listen to what Biden's doing. We got we to gotta even go back to the things he said 20 years ago, right? And some of those policies that I don't think folks are paying attention to. If, if, you, if you went back 20 years ago, and you fellas jump in, but like, if you went back 20 years ago in terms of the things that Biden said, Biden wouldn't be at this point right now. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about that, that 1994 crime bill that 1994 crime bill desecrated the black family mm-hmm. what i mean by that is you know a lot of people's pops became super predators and so it kind of you know we, we nowadays we look at the nucleus of the black family but if you look at the if you if you look at the, the cause of why there is no nuclear black family i i would say the 90 the 80s and 90s the cracker and then the super predator laws that were built to three strike and, and take people out are the reason why our community is on the decline. We're, we're rising now, but like yeah. why we were on a decline. Yeah. Uh, so let, real quick, so we go. You know, this 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 the realest air movement. So we are gonna call a spade a spade. Biden is where he's at right now because your boy Obama tapped him and made him VP. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if you look at look at go back and look at Obama's platform and the things he stood for that that Biden was riding for, he was riding with. He done did a whole one eighty on a lot of those issues now. So, you know, it was kind of like, I'm going to play this because I'm trying to make this move later on. Once again, and it's the thing that I, I just like continue to tell people is like too many times white folks is playing the long game and black folks is living for today. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what Biden was doing. I'm going to rock with Obama for these eight years, even though some of the stuff he he doing, I really don't rock with. Mm-hmm. But I know this move I'm going to make after he gone. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple. So I, to jump into that, when you think about it. So in 16, do you think the reason why Biden, what was the reason why Biden didn't run in 16? Because if anything, he was as hot as he was going to be, right? Coming out of 16. So why wait four years? I mean, I don't he didn't even run, did he? He didn't even run for the nomination, right? So he sat back and played this whole, you know, I'm not going, and then he danced around it. What was the logic with that? Because I, I would have ran in 16. He might be the president now had he ran in 16, honestly. Unless the Trump wave was really just a tidal wave that wasn't going to be stopped, right? So, it, I mean, I, I I know, like, you know, he when his, then his son like passed like right around that son time or something like that. Oh, boom, yeah, mm. and I, yeah, and I think I think that kind of play, you know, play he wanted to kind of take a step back to kind of regroup, group and things like that. That's kind, I mean, I don't. That's the reason why I thought he didn't run back then. Like it could be a, a plethora of other reasons, but mm-hmm. I do remember hearing something or reading something back then that said that was one of the major factors why he felt like he needed to step back and recuperate and figure his life out after his son passed. You know, um, so yeah. but I'm gonna be I'm, I'm like you. I don't think I think that tidal wave of Trump, no matter who he ran against, wasn't gonna be stopped. It yeah. wasn't. I mean, it wasn't gonna be stopped for the simple fact that Biden, even though he done flipped the script a little bit now. He was Obama's boy. 
So that's what people was looking at that now. And Trump's coming with all this, you know, white power rhetoric. And that just brought them with the, to the, you know, to the masses, you know? So that's, mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, no matter who was, who was running against him back then, it was going to happen no matter what. Yeah. So I got, I got to push y'all. Right. Okay. And so let's look at both candidates. Let's look at, let's look at their educational platforms. Right. Mm. And so when you think about the educational platforms, you see that Trump is more school choice than any other candidate. And then you see Biden is pro union because, you know, Democrats have to pander to the union. Right. What are your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? So, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming all of us on here is, you know, pro school choice, right? So, uh, you know, this, 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 this is tricky, right? Because what I want to say, what I want to say, man, could get me in trouble, right? And so I'm trying to, I'm trying to formulate those words because of what I want to say is, look, it's the real air movement. It's right, the real air movement, right? But, but here's the thing, though: Am I willing to sacrifice Biden's stance on education? Because of his his stance on like human human rights, right? Like this man Trump is like, yeah, he's pro school choice, but this man is anti everything human rights. And so it's like, do I just side with Biden, even though to, to your point, uh, he's gonna be very pro to the union? And do I just say I operate in my space in my school and do all I need to do and, and advocate for school choice and say we got to get this man in office because. Homeboy tripping, man. I, I, so I, I mean, I, homeboy's just tripping, man. I can't, this I can't do some of this stuff with him, man. I just this, can't. I think this is, and, and uh, tell me if I'm wrong. I feel like the question is where do we sit at on school choice, you know, versus union? Because I mean, that I, I'm, with, I'm with you, Dave. Like, I can sacrifice the school choice, all that. I can sacrifice the educational stands just because of all the other stuff he's doing. Like, mm -hmm. I, you know, you go at some point, you got this. No candidate is gonna have everything you want. True. So you have to decide what is it that I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, at the same time. So I think that's the piece that you have to look at is like, okay, yeah, how is, you know, if Biden gets in office, you know, no matter if you school choice or not, how's that going to affect you? Now, mm -hmm. the one piece that I'm going to say, you know, because, you know, since, you know, we, we kind of introducing ourselves to the audience, everything like that. I feel like I can be, I can be school choice, pro school choice, but not really have, and this is my own personal, have a real affinity towards charter schools and that's all because of my own personal mm. my own personal issues that i had with charter schools when i was in that area because mm. and this is why i'm pro school choices because i feel like not every kid is going to get into that select charter school some kids are going to have to go to their neighborhood school so i think we need to put the pressure on that all schools need to be good i don't care if you charter non-charter private parochial yeah. whatever you may be and yeah, just yeah. me personally I, my school is so great that i don't care what other charter program is in my city People want to get into my school because that's how great my school is, and that's that's how it should be. That's how that's yeah. how competition should run the system. It shouldn't be oh these charter schools are siphoning money from the system. No, it'd be like my school is so good that they want to get into my school just as much as they want to get into any charter school or whatever. That's mm -hmm. how it should be. That's that's how it should be. And then charter schools should be able to call you to say, hey, you're running a really good district school. Can I have my teachers come over to see what you're doing in order to collaborate with you? And then vice versa, if the charter school is doing something. That's how it should be. But it's so anti. Yeah. And I, th and I think we got the power. I'm going to say this and I'm going to give you the floor. I think, and this is just my philosophy, whether it be with public schools, you know, uh, charter school or district schools versus charter schools, private versus parochial. If it's you know, the staff versus parents, if it's teachers versus administration, is like, we got to tear down these walls that it's us against them. It's a pink wall. Like, we have to get rid of all these walls. <laughs> so, 
you know, that that's that's what I'm trying to advocate for. Let's tear down these walls and have some true, real conversations because there's some good things that charter schools are doing that, you know, public district schools can be using. And there's some good things that public district schools are doing that charter schools can use it. So, like, why do we have to have this? And why can't it be the you know, I mean, why does it have to be the or why can't it be the end? Why can't we have this and that? Mm-hmm. It don't have to be this or that. Facts. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I just meant I was I was going to say, you know, kind of the exact same thing. Like we need to. It is a competition, right? Yeah. As you were saying, you know, we want to have the best mm-hmm. of everything. But at that, you know, are, are we are we going at the whole competition thing at the expense of our students and the resources mm-hmm. that we have that we can utilize together? You know, because it's coming into you know, just my, my specific example is, um, you know, we've got eight middle schools in my in, in my district, and it's a, it's a pretty tight knit group. But mm-hmm. everybody's just kind of doing their thing because that's their thing. And you know, probably about ten years ago, it was like you know everybody was fighting f- to be the best middle school in the district, and now it's like, okay, you know, y'all are doing some good things over here. Why aren't we collaborating so I can be great too? Yeah. And then you know, just kind of. Jumping back to, you know, big picture thing, you know, whether you want to candidate this school pro school choice mm-hmm. or pro union, honestly, at our level, it doesn't matter is my question. Uh, just just because, you know, they're going to they're gonna do what they're going to do, you yeah. know, up there at the national level, you know, kind of set some policies and just, you know, it's going to trickle down. But I, I think we've got to focus on where we're at and, and making the best uh, decisions that we can for for our communities for sure so so uh so you you this is a good segue right because i'm you correct me if i'm wrong i think i saw you were the first person i saw that posed this question right that posed this 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 short list right so everybody knows like biden has a short list for vp so uh you posted you know what you thought was biden's should be his short list for his secretary ed right and so I'm going I'm to I'm jump in real quick and do mine real quick because, you know, I got that Teddy Riley going. And so I want to. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> but look, this is what I feel. And it, it, it all ties together. I think Biden should go straight black woman. So let me tell you, I think VP, he should go with Susan Rice or Keisha Lance Bottoms. Right. Attorney General or uh, his Supreme Court pick should be Stacey Abrams or uh, Kamala Harris. Right. So for Secretary Ed. I'm going with Kaya Henderson, and here's why. So when she took over D.C. in, what, I think 2010, she took over from Michelle Reed. And so if you know what D.C. public schools is like under Michelle Reed, right or wrong, those are some huge shoes that she had to follow. So she stepped into that role, consecutive years of uh, of high uh, achievement. I think the biggest piece was teacher retention, right? She, some of those teachers that Michelle Reed might have ostracized, right, she was able to bring them back and, and, and uplift them. And so She's led a big district. She's got the pedigree. I heard on the eight black hands and even became more excited and like, you know, she gets it. And I, and I feel like she could be a voice for the people. Cause I think right now homegirl been lost us since she said something about shooting a grizzly bear, right. In her confirmation here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, that would be my pick. I, I'm gonna go, with, I'm gonna go with Kaya Henderson, but I think, I think Biden should just go all black women. Like just, just sweep it. With, with black women, it, it just set a set the tone there. So, what y'all think? Mm. So, you know, I, I've been going 
lists, doing some research myself. And you know, there's a lot of interesting names out there. Um, you know, I, I am not opposed to a black woman at all. That would be great, great to see. Um, you know, I, again, I kind of have that same, you know, type of mindset, you know, they're going to have who they're going to have up there. You know, are they really going to make a difference for us, you know, at the building level, on the ground, working with kids every single day? I don't know that they will, but, mm. you know, who who knows? Who, who knows uh, what types of policies that, that they're going to enact? Um, but just kind of going through the list, um, different lists. One guy that, you know, just has stood out to me because I, I spent some time in the in the Maryland, D.C. area. And um, Freeman Robowski, he's the uh, the president of uh umbc so university of maryland baltimore county mm. and he has done a lot of work to make sure that black men black young men <laughs> black young women are you know hitting it when it comes to science and engineering and uh you know that's been his focus and uh has has done a lot for 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 black black kids in that area in the state of maryland just giving them some opportunities uh and he is uh, you know, he, he, his his heart is on his sleeve, and and I've seen him speak uh, several times, uh, and and I just know the work that he's put in, and he's gotten a lot of money for his school, and and he's focused on making strides and in, in making, you know, black young men and women successful. So um, that's kind of where where my research has has landed. But you know, there there's there a lot of great candidates out there. Yeah. So so so, Ankh, are, you, are you saving your pick for the show, or are you gonna give yours, man? Which which, which, which? <laughs> bro? So listen, so um, the reason why I I uh, constructed that list was to mm-hmm. engage in conversations like this mm-hmm. for people to uh, go out and be more informed about mm-hmm. uh, exactly who Ed Secretary could be and mm-hmm. the possibilities. And the reason for that is because. Like we talk about this vice president position, I mean, like you know, it, that high level is really not going to impact us the way that you know we think that it is. However, we work in the field of education, mm-hmm. so any of those policies that are commandeered through uh, through that office are going to impact us and affect us directly. And so we need to be proactive in terms of talking about that, so that you know, if anybody can get Biden's ear or anybody in Biden's camp's ear. That we can have like proactive conversations about who we want as opposed yeah. to who they're going to try to give us, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you know there was some there was some some interesting people from both sides or whatever the 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 union side and the and the choice side or whatever. And I felt like you know by putting some polarizing people on that list, it was going to make for good conversation. You know, some yeah. of the good things that I was hearing about about the list is that some of these people I saw. Uh, people were saying, "Hey, this that this is okay." You know, there's people that I was like, "Hell no!" And both sides <laughs> were saying that, right? So like, uh-huh. you got people that are pro union that was like, "Hell no, I don't want Eva," and you got, you got people that are like pro choice that are like, "Hell no, I don't want Randy." And you know, so it was like really good conversation that came from it. So you know, I'm a hold back. I think okay. I put out a a dark horse list. Okay. Um, of, of people like like how how ball was talking about you know like people that are like under the radar that people don't necessarily know about or whatever and like one of those people for me i don't know if you know this person but uh sarah carpenter man mm. bro sarah so sarah carpenter is um is a parent activist in memphis she is the ceo of memphis lift and okay. um and uh you know she's amazing and like so what would what would 
the education secretary cabinet position be with a parent running it. You know, that would really come in and shake shit up. Because mm-hmm. you know, I feel like this is a position that you know, this is a year, just like how we use how how the presidency was used to come in and shake things up in 2016. Mm-hmm. Maybe we take the ed cabinet position and we shake things up in education and finally get parents what they want. You know, yeah. you got a lot of people that are pandering around these teachers or whatever, like, hey, it should be a teacher, it should be a teacher. I was a teacher, shit, it could be me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, but like I've but I feel like you know, have somebody in there that's gonna speak for parents, especially uh black parents, parents mm. you know, people that have been in our system that have been uh disenfranchised for centuries or whatever, to finally have somebody in there that's gonna take the lead and and and, and do things that are in the best interest of black parents, I think that could be huge. Yeah. So let me ask you real quick before we jump into our next topic. So this year, Indiana is this will be the first year that the governor gets to a point the state superintendent, right? So typically that's a separate election, you know, and, and voted in. And so it's made even people now, including myself, you know, chime in. I want to know that the governor's plan for education because that's going to tell me a lot about who he picks. So in you all's respective states, how's that position picked? Is it is it appointed by the governor or is it elected by the people? Uh, California is elected by the people. Okay. Yeah. In New York, it's a little bit different. I think that um, it's an appointment I'm not sure if it's through the Board of Regents or how the appointment works, um, but it's definitely an appointment. So, yeah. But I mean, if it if it, if it was if it was an election, it probably would be better because now you have to come in with your platform. Now you have to say exactly what you're going to do, as opposed to you know just getting in and like following through with what the governor wants you. True. true. Now we get to know who you are. We get to know if you're qualified based off of you know our our decisions on if qualifications match this or match what we wanted to match. So for example, if you're like, I want this person to be a prior teacher or to have classroom teaching experience. Now your platform has to kind of say you did that or if not, then you know, you're not eligible for certain people to vote for you. Dr. Smith. See all them internet jokes, man. I told you. Uh, No, that that wasn't the internet, bro. That was okay. That was my laptop. So, Yo. that was actually that was actually the laptop. That wasn't even the internet. Listen, laptop. So we, you know, we, we we just now. Well, uh, uh, Ball and I, we we dropped our our sec uh, and Piz uh, Unk. Unk gave us the dark horse, but he's gonna save his. He said he. So he got the list coming out. Yeah. So Unk wanted us to be, you know, more proactive, right? He wanted us to start having these conversations. So. Where does your research take you? Did you land on the phone on a so, person? Yeah, actually, I, actually, it's, it's a toss up. So what I, what I when I approach it from the standpoint of from a policy standpoint, like system wide, and I'm not just talking K twelve. I'm talking mm. K all the way through college. Okay, and one okay. of the biggest issue facing education right now, to me, is teacher preparation. I think mm. you know the stuff that the way teachers are being prepared to come into the classroom these days is horrible. It's, it's outdated. You know, just like a lot of their instruction in the classroom is outdated. Mm-hmm. So I looked at from the standpoint of who can go into that position and really affect policy to get colleges on board to change their preparation process so that when teachers do get to us, we don't have to do as much to get them at least up and running in the classroom. Now, they're still going to need to, you know, have the, the, the rough edges smoothed out and there's going to have to be ongoing PD. But how can we get them closer to up to speed when they come out of school? So my two picks that I kind of kept going back and forth. Or one of them was just basically selfish. Like, I'm going to give you my selfish pick first because I just idolize her work. And, you know, 
I've met her in person a few times. I mean, she's very down to earth. And that's Dr. Gloria Lansing Billings. Like, I mean, you know, that's that's just, you know, she's a phenomenal woman. She has the classroom experience, um, a proven educator. Um, I think there's a lot of um, racial issues that need to be addressed that she is real. She's she's known for race theory, you know, and how do we educate the disenfranchised? So I think she would really come in with that perspective to really help, you know, colleges, teacher ed programs really help their candidates know you need to be understand the racial makeup of your kids when you go into that school, no matter if you're going into, you know, podunk town with a bunch of whites or if you're going into the hood to teach black kids, like you have to understand how race is going to play a part in this process of education. So that's kind of was, you know, that's my selfish pick. But when I kind of sit back and really look at like people that I feel like is could happen, I don't know who y'all said because my laptop is kind of shut down on me <laughs> is uh, Dr. Linda Darling Hammond. That, that was who, you know, I put out there is who I really want to rock with. You know, I think she's a proven educator. She has, you know, the school. Plus, if Biden comes in not really supporting school choice, she's a school choice person. So she's that she could be, you know, the devil's advocate in his ear for those people that believe in school choice. So she's going to bring that to the party as well. She's built teacher ed programs. She's built first year teacher uh, education models of PD and things like that. So she's already done a lot of that work that I think. And she was really on the cusp of being Obama's secretary of ed. So she already is kind of known in that landscape already. Mm -hmm. You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So she has those connections with the university system. She has a connection in a lot of places in the K-12 system. And she has the, she knows how to finesse the political side of things. Cause I think whoever gets the job, you gotta be able to play the political game. You gotta be able to play that game to get your way. So those were kind of my two picks. Like I said, Gloria Lance and Billings, just because that's my personal pick. You know, I idolize the woman. She is definitely one of my educational heroes. Uh, but the other one definitely, um, who I think I would, if you know, if you put me to the fire and say who it needs to be, or if, if I was Biden, I'm going with Dr. Linda Darling Hammond. That's who I'm going with. Nice, nice. So, so let me ask you this question. Let me push. If you're going with uh, with uh, Dr. Linda Darling Hammond, it's like her mentee is on that list too. Mm hmm. Julie. But, uh, right. But my thing is, how do you, if, if you really know how, do, this is my question, how do you pick the mentee and not the mentor? What if the, what if the mentor doesn't want to, doesn't doesn't want she doesn't want it then does he is he next up no then you go with my selfish pick <laughs> <laughs> then if, you, if, if your selfish pick doesn't want it, is he is he out of the question like what, what no no he's he's not out of the question he for me he probably would be my fourth choice mm -hmm. you know he would probably be my fourth choice out of you know everybody out there uh and i don't know why her name escapes me and dave started out with her uh man uh, kaya kaya would be my third choice Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think Kai is, you know, um, has I want somebody that's been in the trenches of K-12. Mm. And I don't know Julian's background. I guess I didn't research him enough to know if he's, you know, if he has that background or is he just a person straight from academia? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> so, so there was, you know, I think Chris did a show early in the week, right? right? He or was it this week where he had Eva on? Yeah, that this week? Well, that, was, that was last week. Yeah, last week he had Eva on, right? And so, you know, Eva, Eva was on when he on she was on Trump's list, right? Short list of some sort. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it, she she was she was a, it's this theme started coming, but then, you know, her whole, I guess, stance on George Floyd and, and that came out or that troll from that, that account or whatever that was, right? <laughs> I, I you know, it, I don't know what that, that means, you know. I I know I liked her. I, I read her book. Kind of follow some of the things success can. Honestly, we mirror most of our virtual learning plans. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
from from some of the stuff they were oh, doing. I just told you not to do it. Don't do it. He already you did it. It's already done. I did it. Of that. You don't put yourself in the frying pan, bro. You see all the smoke Success Academy is getting right now. No, no, hold on. I'm, I'm talking about learning. I ain't talking about race relations. I'm talking about learning. Yeah, but then, but then it also, it also, uh, it's, it's, inter, also it's interwoven. On the, on the learning piece as well, you know, in terms of just like anti-racist tropes and like things of that nature in terms of like how they deliver their instruction in terms so, of- uh, So, so uh, let me ask you as, as a superintendent, because I, I, I believe one of the things that I admire about you is you, you're very- Results driven, right? Yeah, and and outcomes, right? And so, like, yeah. as a, as a young leader, like that's that's what my mindset is. So with that, we we go on Oscar, but I get with that and everything. How do we argue against the results? And can you? Or maybe we just have this offline. But I, that's the part I want to know. Like, so, with everything going so on, how we argue those? So here's the thing, right? So like, you can argue against the results if if there's a certain way that you're getting the results. Okay. So like if the if the results come at the at the detriment of the students, then they're not good results. You know, you want to make sure that you know. And I, and I talked about this in, in my episode, the last mm-hmm. episode that we did in '66. It's like I had to walk away from zero tolerance because it just wasn't jiving with my spirit. Yeah. Um. You know, at the end of the day, you know, is that how I want my kids to be treated? No. I don't want my kids to be treated that way. I want my kids to be lively. I mean, like, I don't want them, like, overly recessed like some of these. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the at the end of the day, you know, I want there to be a high bar in terms of, like, you know, the, the programs that are set up in order for my kids to thrive. And so, you know, my, my theory is, it's like, if I can build a school that I would want my own kids to go to, mm. then I know that that's going to be an amazing school. But... The push for that is, I think Eva's kids attend her school. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. But like it's, I know she's getting a lot of smoke right now. But yeah, also, my is. thing is like, and this is just me. When you say results, and I and I understand academic results is that you know is is a huge piece of that. But mm-hmm. academics ain't the only thing we doing in these buildings. True that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So that ain't the only thing we're doing. So of course we want to have academic success and we want to have those numbers. But then also like, are we educating the emotional side of a kid? Are we having and a kid be able to have critical thinking processes on their own? Or are we just looking, can they get a certain test on a, a certain score on the test at the end of the year? You know, and I, and I hate the term, even though, you know, I, I get it. The education of the whole child that is so vague to me. Mm. But there are other components of education besides just the reading, writing and arithmetic that goes on in classrooms. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that's a good, that's a really good point. And so, you know, here's the thing. Traditional brick and mortar schools, y'all can score shit every year. And that school is still going to be open as long as there are constituents to come to the school. <laughs> right. Whereas if you're a charter school, like yeah. the your charter is based off of how you perform. Mm-hmm. So that's why there's so much of an emphasis on charter schools and test scores or whatever. Like if, 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 if I could have a Georgia year, Shit, I wouldn't test either. <laughs> <laughs> you better uh, leave Georgia alone, what, right? What's going on in Georgia? What's happening in Georgia? Hey, man, listen. Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> what's going on in Georgia? I, I, you know I, what? So, no, leave Georgia alone because Georgia going to tap into my internet. And I've been on for 35 <laughs> minutes uninterrupted. So, Bob, go ahead. If you you want to give something on this topic because we're going we gonna to close out with one last one. But I want to ask Ray something about the show. That the hands are doing on Sunday. So, are oh, you got any thoughts on? I don't even know where we were going. We were just talking about results, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I just want to go back to to Dr. Smith real quick. I, I think if mm-hmm. we're if we're actually measuring that social emotional com- uh, component, because because that, that I mean that's yeah. the bottom line. You know, the 
the results are based on the test scores. And if we're not measuring something, then it doesn't really matter in the, well, it matters, but it doesn't matter when it comes down to what, you know, uh, what the state's looking at and what, you know, families are looking at. Cause you know, they're looking at our report cards to see where our kids are scoring on the state tests and all those types of things, you know, when they have those options of where they want to put their kids. And, and I think that if we, if we make that something that we're measuring, uh, it, it's uh, it's definitely a huge component to making sure that we're that our kids are well because you know I, I I've been in a high performing district the last four years and you know just uh, that that focus on academics is great and we got kids that are you know getting into you know the Harvard's University of Chicago's and all those types of things but I tell you what they don't know how to talk to an adult. <laughs> I mean, I, you, you, you laugh, but you, I mean, you, you see them in the hallways and like, say, hello, how you doing? Like they put their head down and, and, and jet off. I, mean, I blame that on video games. That's the point I, I'm making. If I put my headset on and, and, and put a microphone on, you know, that we, we can have a conversation before. It's money. It's money. Um, so we, we, we're at that, we're at the hour point. And so. I want to thank everybody for bearing with me. Brothers, thank you for bearing with me because my internet is trash. This is my first and last show that I'm going to host and produce. Uh, <laughs> Why is that dirty? Because my internet only said I can do uh, 40 minutes uninterrupted, which is what I got. But but right, the hands got a show Sunday. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, because one of our topics was police in school. Aren't y'all going to talk about a little bit of that Sunday? Yeah. Did I see that? Okay. So... I don't listen. I tried to think about my stance on that. I didn't have anything articulate because we don't have them. We don't have police officers in our school. We have a network uh, security director, one officer, and then we got uh, sheriffs that do traffic, and that's it, right? Um, we're also K six, and I just fundamentally can't see an officer sitting in my building with K six. That's just me. Um, but I'd be interested if you can give us a little teaser about maybe where you stand. Or brothers, if y'all got something on police in schools, man, because I don't have nothing, but I want to hear from y'all about this idea of police in schools and should we just like cut the contracts of, uh, you know, school districts and police officers? Oh, that's a great question, bro. So like, so part of the show on Sunday, the first part is going to be uh, Strange Fruit. And so Strange Fruit basically is derivative off of, you know, what we're seeing with, what we're seeing around the country with, you know, these young black men coming up hung in trees and like that's not ways in which that's not ways in which uh that's not re research doesn't support us hanging ourselves as a way of suicide i'll Absolutely. say it like that mm -hmm. in order to you know in, in order to make sure that we're safe space in there mm -hmm. um and so we're going to talk about that because that's going to be uh, the, the first part of the show the second part of the show is uh basically you know there's this great push for police reform and so you can't really reform the police without reforming education. <laughs> you just really can't. You can't do one without the other. Like you can't say, all right, we're gonna reform these cops and then have these racist ass tropes in schools. Like it just doesn't make sense. And so yeah, so that's gonna be it's gonna be a really good show. Really uh really interested in uh some of the, the uh, opinions of, of uh of the fellas from the eight black hands. Uh ball, Dr. Smith, y'all got any uh thoughts on you know this this new this new push yeah um real, real quick uh it's something i'm sure because we have uh school resource officers in my district uh we don't have one dedicated to my school but uh we we have one that comes uh frequently and you know over the last three three weeks last month i've really been struggling with whether or not uh i, I want 
on my campus, you know, because it, it's been nothing but positive. It's been nothing but positive in a lot of situations. But we have had instances where, you know, and, and, I, and I have my own personal feelings when I see a police officer. Um, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable like at my school. But when I'm outside of school and, you know, I don't have a, the shirt and tie on and I don't have my my employee ID badge on. And I'm just, you know, doing my thing in the community. I have certain feelings and I understand why, um, you know, why, why, why kids, you know, tense up and mm-hmm. w- w- just in the presence of police. And so I'm 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 really strongly considering whether or not I, I, I want them on my campus moving forward. So just a real I'll make it real quick. So the last three schools I've been at. Um, all have had school resource officers to the point where the district I just left, they got their own police department. Mm. The district has their own police department. Mm. Uh, and that's in Kansas city, Kansas. I mean, that just, you know, uh, my current school, um, we, we have a very strict line that we, with our resource, and my, my resource office is cool as a fan. Like, you know, I mean, she, she pretty much sits in her office pretty much the whole day. I mean, she getting paid to just chill because we have a very clear line on what she can intervene in and what she can't. If it's anything that has to do with the code of conduct, She's hands off. If it's something that crosses, you know, any kind of law that's being broken, anything like that, then that's where she kind of intervenes in that. So we make it very like even if it's to break up a fight, you know, administration should be the first ones there, you know, to break up a fight. And then, you know, if there's something that, you know, assault charges like that, then she kind of get, gets roped into that. So uh, and I think every district or every state has a different way of looking at it. Um, I know we didn't get into it, but I, I you know, I kind of want to talk about just the origin of why we even have police in schools. You know, originally it started out as a mentoring thing and really to kind of be a community connection. And now we didn't turn into this enforcement piece that I don't think it needs to be. Yeah. Like I said, man, I, this is just it's one of those things that I'm, I'll be interested to see what 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 more schools do. Um, but definitely going to tune in this Sunday. But this is this has been episode one. So, fellas, what close, closing thoughts? Um, mine is simple. I'm investing some new Internet uh, for our show in July. <laughs> Uh, or we gonna have to cut the show to forty minutes. So one of the <laughs> one of the two. No, we'll talk. Uh, th- this place for me, man. I, I think you know. Uh, I appreciate the vision behind this because I think in any opportunity that we can come together, not just as educators but as black men and dialogue and and converse, right? To to push our thinking has been good. I, I learned a couple things today. A couple a new you know giants. I would say in the education field that I'm gonna go back and do some research on. Uh, to learn more about it, to, to help inform my thoughts, right? Because like, I think, like you said, Dr. Spinner, I went with my, my secretary at pick out of a heart, heart, you know, I, I went for the heart. And so I'm going to go back and do some more research for sure. Uh, but also, man, I, I learned something too, just about um, this this leadership, man, and, and what it's going to be like in the school year. Because that's that's been weighing heavy on me, you know, next school year and, and how I'm going to help uplift and, and bring up my community. Maybe next show I'll talk more about the community in which I serve. Um, but that, that's that's been heavy on me. And so I'm just excited about the show in July um, and appreciate this time today. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I'll just say um, that I'm really thankful for this opportunity. Uh, it is, is you know, uh, listen to the A Black Hands has been, you know, inspirational for me because, you know, you got four, you know, solid and that are educated and, uh, you know, speak from the heart. And 
I feel like it's it's a community and it's growing. Mm. I think you know every <laughs> week you see more and more folks hop on that Facebook Live and, <laughs> and whatnot, and you know hopefully more folks are joining the Patreon. So shout out to Eight Black Hands and and Unc bringing us together. But um, you know I'm just excited to continue to build community with you, uh, learn and grow as a leader, as an educator. Um, you know I, I shared before I'm the I'm the only black principal in my district of mm. 33 schools. Cool. So. Um, you know, so I, so I need this. I need yeah. you guys. I need y'all. So I'm, so I'm excited to participate. I appreciate you. Man, listen, you know, the energy just gauging you guys. I wanted to come through first episode next, uh, 12. I'll be behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> you about to be producing. So the energy is amazing. Like I, the, the same energy that I get Sunday nights is the same energy that I'm feeling now. And so like, I'm super proud of you guys for bringing this perspective to the table because it's so needed. Like you don't see black men talking about uh, leadership, school leadership and, and things of that nature or just talking about the issues that, you know, how the issues present themselves societal, how societal issues present themselves and then how we attack them as, uh, as alphas, as omegas, as sigmas. So That's I appreciate right. the show. I appreciate you guys allowing me to come on the first episode and I can't wait to get behind the scenes. Dr. Smith, close us out. Hey, so I mean, like I said, I'd be I'd be remiss if you know I didn't get you know Unc the shot the shout out that he deserved, you know. Um you know, I know Pierre paper everybody like, man, this dude really they uncle or whatever, but you know, <laughs> I, I, I just want to go on record, you know, I want to go on wax knowing that I was the one that co- coined the whole unk thing. Like that came from me. You know, I want to be I want to be on wax stating that. Uh, get yours, get yours. So, uh, but but you know, Unc had a vision. You know, we said we we did a show a Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You know, and from that he had this vision that you know, and I I know he's like you know my vision is now reality. That's you know that's something that you you know like that you can feel proud about. So I hope we made him proud as he thought we could make him. Um, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention you know cousin Chris, and we'll get into cousin Chris and uh <laughs> Ray Ray uh Sharif the goat, you know, Sharif the goat, and we'll talk about that. But I, I really, really, really do want to take this time, man, because like I literally would not be on this podcast had it not been for Dr. Charles Cole. Had I not went to a conference in Atlanta, the ESSA conference, and heard this man speak from the heart, you know, and come straight no chaser that you know, I'm like, damn, you can have a, a, a doctoral degree and still come like this. You don't have to, you know, conform to what they want you to be. Like mm-hmm. he gave me that, you know, that the, the, the ability to say, you know what, I'm not changing who I am to, and I can still get results, you know? And it was that faithful day when I met him and he kind of gave me that power. And then from there, I found out about the eight black hands and I went through and listened to the podcast and I found out about the Patreon, you know? So I literally would not be on this podcast if it, not, if it wasn't for Dr. Charles Cole, you know, and I call him, you know, even though he's younger than me, you know, that's big brother, you know, uh, in the education world, I mean, a man that is, you know, a phenomenal, phenomenal man in the world of education and health services. So big, big, big shout outs to Dr. Cole for everything he does for me, mentoring me from afar. And if you don't have the book, go get the book Beyond Grit and Resilience by Dr. Cole. It will change your life. Uh, and just to kind of wrap up the show, like everybody said, this show pushes me. You know, this week I spent prepping for this show. I learned a lot about myself. I learned mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, the, the people that's running, you know, on the short list for, you know, ed reform. And we all need something to push us so we don't get comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's what this show does for me. It pushes me to continue to learn, you know, continue to grow, continue to be a voice in my own community. You know, and how do I take the things I'm learning to really continue to push my community, my school, my parents, my students, my staff and all those things like that. So I, you know, I'm thankful for this show. I'm excited to see where it goes from here, you know. Um, and once again, you know, I, I can't wait for July, man. We, you know, we're we doing big things, you know. And I just want to say the real ad movement is, is, is it's rolling. We rolling now. Welcome to it. The realest ad movement. 
the workhorses, the leaders. Uh, thanks for tuning in to the AOS Podcast. Catch us next month. We out. Go, Mob. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> this guy.